Now this morning, Matt has offered to read the scripture to us today. It's Romans 12, verses 1 through 8, and it will be read in the new RSV. And uh, this scripture reading is all about uh, the body of Christ. So just soak that up and may God bless the reading of his word today. So as Pastor said, today's reading is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, found on pages 986. 987 of your pew Bibles. Let's hear God's word. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be, confront, be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ. And individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Prophecy in in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Matt, for reading today and also for subbing for me last week. It was kind of a last-minute thing, but I tested positive for COVID, so I thought, oh, better not go today. I don't want to get you sick because I care about you. Well, today is the third of three Sundays in a series that I've been doing about Lakeview Community Church. Lakeview, it's where we are. It's a beautiful location. Community it's why we're here, to reach out to the community with love. And church, it's who we are. Uh, based on Romans 12, we are the body of Christ. Amen? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today, about Romans 12. But before we do, let's pray for the Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to see you. Open our ears to hear you. Open our hearts to receive you. Open our lives to serve you. In the name of Christ, amen. Now most of you know that I grew up in western New York from Marion. But what you might not know is that I did not go to Marion High School. Even though I was only a stone's throw from Marion's High School, for whatever reason, I was in the Newark School District. So me and my uh, neighbors and the kids all around we went to Newark High School. We didn't go to Marion, even though Marion High School was actually closer by. So I grew up loving sports, and I was part of the sports teams at Newark, especially track and cross country. 
and I loved running for the Reds. But believe it or not, track and cross country was not the most popular sport in school. By far the number one sport was basketball. We were known for our basketball, the Newark Reds basketball team. And there was one legendary game against none other than East High School. Any of you ever heard of East High School? Well, Newark Reds one time during the state qualifying went up against East High School, a big team from Rochester. And uh, we were running behind, and it came down to the last second, and one of our star players by the name of Jim Miranda got the ball and launched a long-distance shot. And you know what? It went in. And it was this legendary shot that beat East High School and put Newark Reds basketball on the map. And um, even when I went there, and this was like back in the 70s, this was the shot. And there was a picture of Jim celebrating. He was like jumping up and down. It was this life-size photograph on the wall of the gym, forever memorializing the shot. I remember going to some of the games, and it was often a hard ticket to come by. Games were often packed out and sold out. It wasn't a very big gym, but it was loud. It was a big-time home court advantage when teams came to Newark to play the Newark Reds basketball. And I remember the cheerleaders shouting out this call. Maybe this is familiar to you. They shouted, we are the Reds, the mighty, mighty Reds. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are. So we tell them, we are the Reds. Ever heard that cheer before? Maybe more than one school uses that same cheer. Well, anyway, what about the church? Who are we? We are the church, the mighty, mighty church. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are, so we tell them we are the church. That's our team. That's our identity. That's who we are. We are the church. Not mighty in power, but mighty in love. Not mighty in domination, but mighty in service and in the love of Jesus Christ for the community. We are the church. And that's what Paul wants to talk about today, too, in that Romans 12 talks about the church. And the Greek word for church was ekklesia. And ekklesia is actually a compound word that means called out. We're called out of the world and into the community of faith. We're called not to conform to the world, but we're called to be transformed by the Holy Spirit and the love of Jesus Christ. It talks about that in Romans 12. In Romans 12, it says this, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. And it says this, we want to live for Jesus Christ, not live for self. We don't want to do it my way anymore, but we want to be transformed to the way of Christ and to discern and decipher the will of God for our lives. That involves a little taste of humility. That involves understanding what God wants for our lives. Now Paul says, we are one body and we have many members and not all the members have the same function so that we who are many are one body in Christ and individually we are members one of another. He compares the church to the human body. And just as the human body has many parts, like 
the brain, the heart, the lungs, the arms, the legs, the feet. So also the church has many parts, but they're meant to function together. Think of the human body. If you want to go anywhere or do anything, your brain's got to make a plan. Your heart's got to pump the blood. Your lungs have to breathe in the air. And your feet have to march to where you need to go. Now, of course, it's more complicated than that. The body is amazing, and it's very complex. There are many systems going on underneath our skin, underneath our bones, but yet the body of Christ is also beautiful and complex with a great deal of diversity, but yet we have our unity in Christ. We are one body. Now, to be the called out ones, it involves a transformation of the mind. Instead of thinking it's my way or the highway, and to think that I'm at the center of the universe, we now put Christ and the cross at the very center of our lives. It's a Christ-centered worldview. Verse 2 summarizes the big move. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind so that you, not individually, but corporately, may discern God's will. For the church in Rome, that would be a big challenge because the church in Rome was formed by Jewish Christians, but also Gentile converts to Christianity. And many people think that the church in Rome, the capital city of the Roman Empire, was formed on the day of Pentecost. Because according to Acts 2, people from Rome were there receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and listening carefully when Peter preached the good news of the gospel. Then when they came from Jerusalem and traveled back to Rome, that's when the church started. That's when the church caught fire. That's when the Holy Spirit started their community of believers. But it wasn't always easy because they had differing perspectives in the church. Jewish Christians knew the scriptures. They knew the Old Testament, the law, the Psalms, the prophets. They knew that, and that shaped their worldly perspectives. But meanwhile, Gentile converts would think quite differently, being shaped by the capital city and its values, its economics, its politics, and even its worship. Rome was known for idol worship, and emperor adoration. Later in the book of Romans, uh, especially chapter 14 and 15, Paul addresses a very specific instance in the church in Rome, and it had to do with food, drink, and observation of days. He talked about how certain people in the church were vegetarians, not because of a healthy diet, but because they wanted to avoid food that was non-kosher, and they wanted to avoid any meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Because you see, in the marketplace of that day, um, it was rare to have kosher food, and it was rare to have food that was not offered in a pagan temple as a sacrifice to an idol. So some ate only vegetables, while <coughs> excuse me, others ate meat freely. In addition, some observed various holy days while others were not so religious. What about us today? Sometimes we can be threatened by our differences. We have our differences. 
We have different genders. We have different ages. We have various occupations and educations. We have differing perspectives and points of view. Church, we can't allow these things to divide us because we are united in Christ. Amen? We are one in the Lord. Sometimes cooperation can be replaced by competition. Earlier I mentioned the Newark Reds basketball team and how they competed against various teams like East High School, but their league was the Finger Lakes League and they competed against Canandaigua and Geneva and Penyan. But they were called to compete against other teams, not compete against themselves. What if the competition was internal and they worked against each other? What if the point guard and the shooting guard were shooting at different baskets? They wouldn't win a lot of games that way, would they? To be successful, you have to cooperate. You have to have teamwork in the church. We want to do it my way instead of working together. You know, we're here to worship the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but sometimes we tend to worship the unholy trinity. Have you ever heard of that? The unholy trinity is me, myself, and I. Paul warns of ego trips in the church. He says, I say to everyone among you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. In other words, we need to be humble. If we don't practice humility, pride of self may destroy us. Pride of self may be an obstruction. Pride could really compromise our unity or damage our witness if we insist on our own way, our own personal project, our own style of music, our own theological emphasis, our own pet peeves. What are we to do? Paul insists that it's not what we have to do, but it's what God has already accomplished. It's less about achieve and more about receive. Now, Paul knew a thing about grace. He knew that it was grace at the start. It was grace in the middle and grace at the end. It was all about God's amazing grace. Even though he's never met many of them in that church, and I don't know if you knew this about Romans, but when he wrote the letter to the church in Romans, he had never actually been there. He intended to get there eventually, but at the time of the letter writing, he had never visited that church but he still considered them his family. He still considered them spiritual brothers and sisters. Listen how the chapter begins. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters. They were part of his family. And he appealed to them on the basis of God's mercy. The merciful action of God when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross was the foundation on which Paul stood. That's the very ground on which his argument stands. After willingly receiving God's mercy and grace, they're now indebted to God. They owe him their very lives, which is a grateful life, an obedient lifestyle. Although they are many, they've been saved by the one, the one who gave himself willingly unto death, hanging on the cross for the sins of the people. In verse 3, Paul says, For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you. 
He doesn't make his argument out of thin air, but appeals to them with a speech initiated by and motivated by God and his grace. Later in verse 6, Paul admits that we have gifts, and our gifts differ one from another. My gifts are not the same as yours, and your gifts are not the same as mine. But yet, we all serve the one Lord. There is one Savior, one Lord, one faith, one people of one God. It's the same way today. As the Church of Christ, we've been blessed by his grace. According to Herman Ritterboss in his masterpiece about Paul, our spiritual unity as the people of God is grounded in Christ and is brought about in communion with him. Ritterboss sums it up this way. The essential idea of the qualification of the church as the body of Christ lies in that the people of God has its unity and its common existence in Christ. This unity rests on the fundamental reality of the many belonging to the one and the all being represented by the one. As the faithful church established by the Son of God himself, we must realize that our unity is in Christ, it's by Christ, and it's for Christ. Certainly he is the one who makes us one. Of course, the church... If you think about the church, sometimes we think about the church as a building. Now, this building is a nice place. It's a place where we come to worship at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. And during the week, it's a good place to gather too. So I don't discount this building. But this building is not the church. The people of God are his church. The people of God are the body of Christ. And it's more than just the people that gather at 30 Long Pond Road at Lakeview Community Church. That's part of it, but it's more than that. We have this regional representation in the body of Christ. We have our sister churches in Palmyra and Pulteneyville and Penfield. And we have churches at the national level in the Reformed Church in America and other denominations as well. And we have churches around the world that right now are worshiping in languages that many of us don't even understand languages like French and German and English and Portuguese, even Creole down in Haiti. So there's these God worshipers, this body of Christ that's way bigger than just our little group of people gathered in this little church on Long Pond Road. And that's an honor, isn't it, to know that God's church is way bigger than just me and way bigger than just us. Thinking about the body of Christ reminds me of a song that we used to do at communion at New Life Prison Church, where some of the prisoners, uh, especially Tim on the guitar and Grant playing the keys, would sing this song called One Bread, One Body. And I think these lyrics are meaningful to what I'm preaching about today, so listen up, church. One bread, one body, one Lord of all. One cup of blessing which we bless. And we, though many throughout the earth, we are one body in this one Lord. The first stanza says, Gentile or Jew, servant or free, woman or man, no more. And then back to the chorus. Stanza two, many the gifts, 
many the works, but one in the Lord of all. And then back to the chorus for a third time. One bread, one body, one Lord of all, one cup of blessing which we bless, and we though many throughout the earth were one body in this one Lord. It's a great communion song because it mentions the one bread and the one cup, but it also talks about the communion of the saints. The fact that as brothers and sisters, we come together and we meet as one body. And it emphasizes that point three different times. It says, one Lord of all. It says, one body in the Lord. And it says that we are one in the Lord. That is our spiritual reality. The Lord himself is the very source of our unity. And by faith, we know that his one sacrifice on the one cross has united us, even though sometimes we have very little in common with one another. But our Lord Jesus, he brings us together. His blood shed on the cross has not only forgiven our sins, but brought us to a new way of life, a new community. In fact, last week uh, when Matt preached the sermon that I wrote, um, I talked about community. But this week is about community also. Last week was about the community out there. But this week is the community in here. And in some ways, the communities overlap, don't they? Because um, we are a community, a faith community, within the community for the community. And so there's like three layers of community, right? The community of Greece, the community we serve, and the community of faith in which we are now worshiping. Consider the body of Christ. It's compared to the human body. Where would our human bodies be without air to breathe? But consider the body of Christ. Where would we be without the air of the Holy Spirit making us alive when the wind or the breath of the Holy Spirit comes to God's church? He is the one that makes us one. He is the one that brings us together. He is the one that makes us fully alive. Alive in Christ, we dedicate our lives to serve Jesus and also serve one another. It's, it's our way of expressing our gratitude for the gift of his dear son, Jesus Christ. Thankful for everything that he has done for us, we grow in grace, not as individuals that are isolated one from another, but we grow in God's grace together as we worship, as we have Bible studies, as we gather for fellowship in the fellowship room. As a body of believers, diversity can be a real blessing when everyone is pulling in the same direction. We're all saved by the same Savior. We're all saved from our sins by the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. Our sins are washed away, but we're also saved to a new way of life. This is the new life in Christ in which we're not isolated, but we live in community, one with another. In the church, Paul emphasizes and underlines that we both have unity and diversity in the church. And he talks about seven gifts in the church. And I don't think he's meant to say that there's only seven because there's way more than the seven he mentions. In fact, in other passages of scripture, like 1 Corinthians 12, for example, Paul lists other gifts that go beyond what is listed 
in Romans 12. But I think he wants to show seven because seven is the number of completeness in the Bible. Seven is a number of perfection. And he's saying, church, I know you're not perfect, but Christ is. And Christ perfects what you offer. He takes these seven things and symbolically represented in the number seven, he makes you righteous. He makes you perfect. Paul says, we have gifts that differ according to grace given to us. Prophecy in proportion to faith. Ministry in ministering. Teacher in teaching. The encourager in, in encouragement. The giver with sincerity. The leader with diligence. The compassionate in cheerfulness. Notice that the final three gifts there are kind of explained out a little bit more. Paul goes into greater detail and emphasizes that we need to be sincere when we give, we need to be diligent when we lead, and we need to be cheerful with our gift of compassion. That should really capture our attention as donors and leaders and caregivers. If implemented properly, these gifts will surely benefit the church, both promoting and establishing unity in God's church. N.T. Wright wrote a book called Paul for Everyone, and he describes a comparable situation. It's about seven friends who went into business and they wanted to start a small business. And the business was a garden center, a lawn and garden center. And they looked it up and they said, there is no lawn and garden center within 20 miles of here. So this is a perfect place for us to set up a lawn and garden center. So the seven of them gathered and they said, let's take the plunge, let's start a a garden center business. And Jeff and Ruth were natural leaders, so Jeff was really great at talking strategy and he had a lot of business connections with the local community, and so they made him the CEO. Ruth had decades of experience in banking, so she would naturally fit as the CFO, the chief financial officer. Thomas loved growing things. He was the one with the green thumb, so they put him in charge of the vegetable department. Rebecca was a skilled gardener, so they put her in charge of the flower department. Jerry was a handyman. He could fix anything. So they said, you're the person to install the sprinklers, the irrigation system, to water the plants. And if a lawnmower or a wheelbarrow breaks down, we'll know who's there to fix it. Rachel had an academic background, so they put her in charge of managing the office. With these seven on the dream team, they felt their garden center would be a can't-miss project, a smash hit. Based on human resources and people skills, they were built for success. What about the church? Could it be that way too? N.T. Wright says that it should be, since God gives different people different gifts that are needed for the work of the gospel to flourish. We want to put the right people in the right place so that everyone benefits and Christ will receive praise. Sometimes that can present a challenge, especially in a small church like Lakeview because some of us have to wear more than one hat. Can we be a deacon and serve cookies? Can we do building maintenance and sing in the choir? Let's try not to rank one contribution as better than another. 
whether it's preaching or teaching, playing or singing, greeting or serving, may all done be without a regard for self, selflessly in service of Christ and the body of Christ. It's all about the communion of saints within the church. Hear the words of the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer number 55, which says, what do you understand by the communion of the saints? First, that believers one and all are members of this community. They share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and joyfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. Did you hear that? I'm not just here for me. I'm here for you. And we're here for each other to serve the body of Christ. We're here together on this journey as one body for one Lord. And may the Spirit put the right people in the right place so the church flourishes, so the body of Christ is united, and so that God is praised. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of God's people together say, Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the body of Christ. Sometimes the body of Christ faces threats. Threats that may potentially divide us. But Lord, by your Spirit, may we be one church, united in our one Lord and our one Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.